Amen. God, thank you so much for making a way for us. Thank you for being our king of glory. Thank you for calling us sons and daughters. Amen. You may be seated. Amen. Well, welcome everyone to Emmaus Church Community. My name's Stephanie, and I will be your tour guide today. So <laughs> um, I'm really thankful. This morning when I woke up, I was so thankful that I could worship with you in this house and come and know that this is a place where truth and freedom reigns. Amen. So um, today, uh, if you need a Bible and notes, you can just raise your hand. We have ushers that can bring those to you so you can follow along during the message. There's also communication cards that are going around. So if you have a change of any of your communication address, phone number, social security number, you can just write that down and then we can enter it into our system. Please don't write down your social security number. That was a joke. Um, so welcome. Today we have a very special Sunday because we are joined by Joshua Rubenstein and his family. And <laughs> clapping for himself over there in the corner. Um, and uh, Rabbi Joshua, he's the rabbi of the Beth Yeshua Messianic Congregation in Sacramento. Um, he is an incredible speaker, so much so that his last time that he spoke... His message on our website was the most viewed and watched me message on our website, which I feel uh, comfortable sharing only because Nate is not here today, so I think that would be a little heartbreaking for him, but um, it's because he brings a beautiful word with a great heart, and uh, part of that is he has a passion to see uh, Jewish people come to know Yeshua, to know Jesus. So could you join me in welcoming Rabbi Rubenstein? Thank you, Stephanie, and thank you guys for having me back. Um, it's, uh, it's a really cool thing, honestly, for a nice Jewish boy to get to preach a sermon on a Sunday morning. That's like, that's a little rare, right? I mean, there's not always churches that are like knocking on my door, hey, come and preach on Sunday morning. So that's really cool. Um, for those of you who maybe don't remember, I was here during Advent season as you guys were celebrating Advent. Um, and just before that, I had met Pastor Nathan um, at a bris, at a circumcision of a nice Jewish boy on the eighth day. And some of you are like, sweet mercy, I didn't want to know. But now you know, that's how I met Pastor Nathan. I mean, it sounds like a joke, right? Like a pastor and a rabbi meet at a bris. And then the, the pastor's like, hey, you should come teach during Advent. And it's like, yeah, that's a weird world. I just, I don't even know how it happened. So um, we were there because uh, some of you know Robin and Carlos and Santi, um, and, uh, and he, being a nice Jewish boy, Santi, uh, was brought into our people on the eighth day by circumcision, which is what we do. Um, and it was really sweet to actually share that with Pastor Nathan and to have both of us be able to really love on him together. We do that a lot in our community, which is like we have like you know, Jewish people and, and not Jewish people, like, all together loving Messiah together in the same room. And there's a real sweetness in that. There's something really special for me as a nice Jewish boy to have a pastor also pray blessings over that boy on the eighth day and to know that he's coming into a community that's going to surround him and love him and provoke him to love Jesus, the Jewish Messiah, is for me, like, that's amazing. That's a, that's a dream come true. 
Um, and so I started having conversations with Pastor Nathan, and we realized that we had a, kind of a similar heart, which is we really love and enjoy these rituals of life, the idea of a liturgical life, that there are seasons that are purposeful and a structure that's purposeful in the Word of God, and God did it on purpose because He knows that we're people, and we forget all the time. We forget the goodness of what He has done. In fact, the, the commandment to remember is like one of the primary commandments all throughout the Torah. It's like, remember, 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 right? Because God knows that if we're not told to, we have a tendency to forget. So we started talking about that and how sweet it was. And then he was like, hey, just after Pentecost, like, I'm going to go on a sabbatical, and would you come? And I was like, oh, that's amazing, right? Because you guys do Pentecost, and we do Pentecost also. We call it Shavuot, right? Do you guys know about Shavuot in the Jewish tradition? No, you don't. Sweet. So we'll talk about that. All right. Um, so for those of you who don't know, I'm a, a second-generation Jewish believer in Jesus, the Messiah. Uh, my dad, nice Jewish boy from uh, Oakland, uh, he was all caught up in the 60s and 70s in all of the madness that was happening, uh, officially tear-gassed on Berkeley's campus during the troop train transport protests and all sorts of stuff, bought a gun, moved to Canada, grew weed. I mean, like, just, you know, normal, normal 60s existence. Um, <clears throat> Really normal, <laughs> not normal. And so he actually discovered Messiah uh, in the mountains of New Mexico in a hippie commune where, I mean, like literally they were barely scratching out an existence in the continental divide way up in the high desert. And my dad, the marijuana farmer, had an encounter with Yeshua, with Jesus, that set him free from drug addiction in a moment. And he went from being a drug addict to being in love with God. And so then he came from that into churches where he was discipled and he was taught, like, this is how to love God. But see, there was this part of my dad that was always, and I think it was stirred up by the Spirit, that was always like, but I'm Jewish. How do I love Jesus, who is the Jewish Messiah, as a Jew? And so he began to wrestle through that, and that was actually around the time that Messianic Judaism, which is kind of this modern movement of Jewish people loving Jesus as the Jewish Messiah, but still being faithful remnant, remaining part of their people and being faithful to the one true God and his Messiah. They were defining it. They were like inventing it from scratch. They're looking at like the first century, and they're like, how did they do it? Because those were all Jews doing Jew stuff. I mean, like, have you read the New Testament? It's like all full of Jews doing Jew things and they're wandering around in Israel having Jew ventures, right? So <laughs> it's, it seemed to him like, hey, we should be able to do this. We should be able to live Jewish life. And so Messianic Judaism was really birthed out of that. Like, how do Jewish people love Jesus as the Jewish Messiah and still be faithful to remain as part of their people? Which is really hard, guys, because People doesn't always get that. The Jewish people doesn't always understand that because a lot of hard things have happened to the Jewish people in the name of Jesus sometimes, right? Jewish people have been murdered in genocides by people who call themselves followers of Jesus. So there's this split in the mind of Jewish people as to how on earth somebody could ever be a Jew and love Jesus. 
when if you actually read this, it's the most normal thing in the world for Jewish people to love the Jewish Messiah. It's something that deeply makes sense. And so when Pastor Nathan invited me and I saw that it was right around the time of Shavuot, I said, oh, this is a beautiful place because you guys love the rhythm of the Bible and its cycles and how it moves us in structure. And this is one of those times for the Jewish people. So Shavuot, which is Feast of Weeks, Pentecost, doesn't just like pop up like a magical unicorn in the middle of a forest, right? It actually is deeply tied to the story of Passover. In fact, you actually know when to celebrate Pentecost, Shavuot, because you start at Passover and you count for seven weeks, right? Seven weeks and you go through this. And for Jewish people, this is actually called the counting of the Omer. And so we literally are doing a countdown or a count up, really, because we're kind of going through the days, a count towards Shavuot, a count towards Pentecost. And so there's almost like this, um, this growing expectancy of something is coming, something is coming, something is coming. And it's interesting because if you look at Shavuot in the Torah, it really doesn't sound like that exciting of a festival for the Jewish people. You're actually required, Jewish males are required to go to Jerusalem during Shavuot, during Pentecost, which is why when the Holy Spirit fell on the disciples in that place, there were so many Jews in Jerusalem from not just Jerusalem, but from all of the surrounding nations because they had come back on pilgrimage because it was required. Isn't God amazing? Then they all go home filled with the Spirit and in love with the Jewish Messiah. It's an amazing reality. So there's this countdown that begins, and it begins with Passover, and it stops, if you will, but it doesn't really stop, with Shavuot. It concludes with Pentecost. And it's, to me, one continuous story. See, Passover is not just, let my people go. It's, let my people go so that they may go out into the desert and worship me. God is not just freeing the Jewish people from slavery. He's drawing a people to himself to be his children. Now, if you can't see the parallels between that and your own spiritual life, then you're missing something really beautiful in Scripture. Because this rhythm is how God deals with every single one of us over and over and over again. And it's, man, don't you wish that when you came to Messiah, there was just like, Presto changeo, magic wand, and all of your life was lollipops and gumdrops. And all of the past things were just like bubbles, and they just float away. The reality, guys, is that God continues to set people free from slavery. It's a continual process of transformation in our lives. It is something that God is always moving us towards because he knows that we as people have a tendency to put ourselves in slavery. We volunteer for slavery. 
the first taste is free. I mean, some of you who know drug addiction and alcohol addiction and the havoc that it wreaks within your families or maybe within your own life, you know the reality of sometimes we sell ourselves into slavery. And it takes a divine act for God to take slaves and turn them into children. And the way he does it is really beautiful. You know, uh, he doesn't do it through legislation. He doesn't create a perfect system in which now everyone will behave the right way. Because that's false. You can force a system on people, but their hearts are still theirs. It's the divine spark. It's the part of us that God has designed that gives us the freedom to choose. And what God does then is he actually comes to a people enslaved and he says, here's freedom. Here's safety. Now will you choose me? Will you choose to love me? Because he's not looking for slaves. Pharaoh was looking for slaves. God is looking for children. And how do you do that in seven weeks? It's amazing to me as a dad because like two of my boys are over there and I'm still trying to figure out how to like raise my children so that they're not enslaved by my beliefs and my love for God, but that they're free to choose him on their own. And yet they're also required to not be broken and wild and, you know, crazy. And have you ever read, those of you who are parents, the story of the prodigal son and been like, (laughs) I would not have done that. Homeboy comes up and he's like, hi, I need $5,000 to ruin my life, dad. And you're like, no, no, thank you very much. You can just go on your own and, you know, ruin your life without any money. Thank you very much. It's really hard, isn't it? To actually release the people that are in our care so that they can be free, so that they can choose Imagine that on the cosmic scale of God, freeing a people. And he already knows how my Jewish people are going to blow it. I mean, right? Yeah. Dude, Moses says it. Like, he prophesies it. Like, as they're about to enter the land. God's taking you into this amazing land. It's going to be so beautiful. All you have to do is obey him. But you won't. Wah, wah, wah. And so more slavery, more discipline, and then the people once again cry out in their hearts, please God, set us free. And he says, that I can work with. So how does God do this? How does God get us from slavery to being children? And I think it's a good model for us, especially in this world, guys, because there are slaves. There are real, actual, literal slaves. And we have a responsibility to work towards their freedom. And then, I wish we could say that none of us are enslaved in our minds, in our hearts, in our spirits, but we're enslaved also. And God, his invitation to you this morning is choose life.
So the first thing God does is he brings us actually into freedom. And so I'm going to ask you, if you would, to open your Bibles. We're going to look at Exodus 3. Exodus 3, verses 1 through 10. This is page 40 in your Bible, uh, for those of you who are using kind of the, the one here from Emmaus. Now, I'm sure that you've heard this story before, but I want you to just think about the reality of this deeper structure, this deeper reality that God is revealing in his interaction with Moses and with the Jewish people. Because there is a lot that this has to teach us about how God works with people about how he chooses to move us. And it's different than I think you or I would do because we tend to actually control. Many of us, we tend to like, we want a certain result and so we will get it. And we like kind of white knuckle to try to get it. But that's not what God does. And it begins with him freeing the people. Now there, make no mistake, are people that need to be physically freed, right? I mean, there's a triangle of child sex trafficking from here to San Francisco and Stockton, right? Where there are thousands of children that are sexual slaves. This is real. And I actually found out from Stephanie, it's actually something that you guys are involved in actually working to heal, which is amazing. It's part of what you guys support here at Emmaus, and I think that that's wonderful. You guys are literally freeing slaves. And the interesting thing is that you can't just free the body. You also have to free the mind and the heart, the spirit, right? Have you guys read the statistics about sexually trafficked women? That if they are not healed, if there's not emotional healing and intervention in their lives and enough separation and safety for them to actually develop a different support structure and culture and beliefs and life, they will go straight back into slavery voluntarily because it's what they know and because they have been abused and lied to for years and it transforms us to slaves on the inside. So slavery is not just about your body. And many of us are very free. We could get in our cars, we could drive wherever, but wherever you go, there you are. And the slavery that you have on the inside of you will not be broken until you say, God, I need you. In a moment, we're going to look at the second thing, which is God brings safety. And do you know how he does that for the Jewish people? They cry out. Not to Moses. They cry out to God. Save us. I want to encourage you today, if you've got heavy stuff going on in your life, cry out to God. He can take it. He can handle the mess of whatever is going on in your life. And he loves you, and he will work through it. And you may have an idea of what you think is the solution, but he will take you to the God solution, which is by far better and far more reaching for the generations of your family. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. That would be a cool place. 
There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. The angel of, of the Lord is a really interesting character in the Torah because it's not quite angel, not quite God, receives worship as if he is God, speaks for God. Does that sound like anybody you've ever read about in the New Testament? It's interesting to me. I wonder often, is this the pre-incarnate Yeshua, Jesus, intervening because, guys, he has always been the protector of the Jewish people. And he always will be. Did you know that a Jew is going to sit on the throne in Jerusalem? A Jew. It's amazing. God has forever linked Messiah to the Jewish people. It's unreal. So the angel of the Lord appears to him. In flames of fire from within a bush, Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. And when the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, Hineni. He said, here I am. Which, if you ever hear the voice of God, that is the proper response. We've learned this from Scripture. Just say, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you're standing is holy ground. And then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And at this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. And God begins the process, the process of transformation here with freedom. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. Now, the cry out to God is because of the slave drivers, but there's also suffering. They are broken on the inside. They have been subjected to slavery for so long that they are beginning to split apart inside of them. Do you know people like this, where like what they actually do doesn't line up with what's inside of them? We all can be very much like this. In fact, Yeshua, Jesus talked about this often about the Pharisees, right? He's like, you do all of these things, you're like, you're doing all the right stuff, but where are your hearts? Are you really in love with God? Or are you just going through the list of things that you must do to please God? Another way that God puts it is in the book of Amos, where through the prophet, he says, I am sick of your sacrifices. I am done with your festivals. Get away from me because they're like noise to me because your hearts are far from me. See, and this is the brokenness that happens on the inside. When you are suffering, sometimes you begin to split what you do from who you are. And you can actually say, I forgive so-and-so. I release them. But there's a big difference between saying it and actually releasing them in your heart so that you can be free so that you're no longer a slave to unforgiveness. So I have come down. Man, and when God comes down, watch out. So I have come down to rescue them, 
from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. So step one, how do you take slaves and turn them into children? You must give them freedom. Most of you in this room, you're free in your bodies. So if you do have slavery in your life, my guess is that it's internal. You have hurts and you have wounds that need to be healed. And I want to encourage you, especially in this place, in this community, I know the heart of those who lead here, and their heart is for you to be healed, for you to have a fully integrated reality between what you believe and what you're actually doing, for you to actually experience the forgiveness of God to the level where you can actually forgive other people fully. Learning to forgive is one of the most basic parts of being truly free. Learning how to forgive. And honestly, it comes from knowing that this is much more than just an icon. That this was real. That a real Jesus hung on this because he loved you personally. And he was willing to take that for you. Hopefully, as the Spirit begins to move, that begins to pierce your heart, and in your innermost being, you begin to have a revelation of the knowledge of the love of Jesus for you. And then you begin to recognize how much you've been forgiven. And then you can extend forgiveness to other people. Because you begin to recognize, well, like Paul said, Paul called himself the chief of sinners. Now, you might think he was just using hyperbole so he could teach. Paul handed fellow Jewish believers over to death. Before he knew Jesus, he was responsible for murder. He understood that Yeshua took something that he could not pay. So it's not tongue-in-cheek, and it's not hyperbole for the point of teaching. He believes himself to be the chief of sinners, and yet Yeshua, Jesus, died for him. And so he could forgive, and he could love, and he could pour out his life because of the life that had been poured out for him. And I just want to encourage you today, you may very much be enslaved on the inside. And there is freedom for you. There is freedom in the blood of Jesus. You can be set free from unforgiveness and hurt, and resentment, and the emotional, and the mental wounding that people have wreaked upon you. And in a moment, understanding how much you have been forgiven, you can release them in forgiveness truly inside of your heart. You're going to have an opportunity to respond after this message. I want to remind you, unforgiveness is a sin to be confessed. Whether or not the person ever comes to you, you have a responsibility to forgive, to release.
The second step is safety. Exodus 14. Verses 8 through 31. This is page 48. People actually have to have margin in their life. They actually have to have a, a, a real safety in their lives in order to make purposeful choice to be the children of God. Now many of you are, once again, physically safe. But there is also a spiritual safety. And some of you are not physically safe. And you need God to deliver you. Cry out to God and he will deliver you. These are not just stories. He is a God who is close to his people. So the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled. Pharaoh and his officials changed their mind. We just lost our labor force. Let's go get them. So with his chariot and his army of other chariots, the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, so that he pursued the Israelites who were marching out boldly. And the Egyptians, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots, horsemen and troops, pursued the Israelites and overtook them as they camped by the sea near Pihahiroth, opposite Baal Zephon. <clears throat> and as Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up, and there were the Egyptians marching out after them. They were terrified, and they cried out, to the Lord. Um, I was a teacher, a high school teacher, for about a decade, taught public and also private high school. Um, and I still remember one of my professors, um, when I was getting my master's in, in education, he was really emphatic that students will never, ever ever learn in your classroom unless they feel safe. The number one job of every teacher is not to have an amazing curriculum that prepares them for the standardized test. It's to have a classroom in which children can come and be seated and know that they will not be harassed and bullied and tortured and beset. And they will actually have an opportunity margin in their lives to think deeper thoughts. You need margin in your life from the things that are plaguing you, attacking you, in order to have the ability to choose life. This is why the enemy so often harasses us and drives after us in his chariots to try to destroy us, to get us so busy and so antagonized that we forget to be still and know that God is for us who can be against us. The enemy will make you think that you're utterly defeated and all he's doing is just pursuing you. 
cry out to God? Are there places in your life where you feel like you have zero margin? Cry out to God. Are there places in your life where you feel like you're in serious attack? Your family, you yourself, your friends are being attacked by the enemy. Cry out to God. And I'd encourage you, don't tell him what to do. Just cry out. And the last point, choose. All of this happens so that the Jewish people, so that the Israelites can actually come to the foot of a mountain that is on fire because of the glory of God. And Moses goes up to speak to the Lord, and the Lord says, if you will obey my commandments, if you will choose me today, you will be my treasured possession, my inheritance forever. Now, lest you think that that is just for the Jewish people, Peter, Kepha, nice Jewish boy, reiterates this in the Brit Hadashah in the New Testament, and he says that this is for the nations. You're a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a treasure for God. Will you choose him? See, the way God works in our life is he doesn't just bring us out of slavery so that we can choose whatever we want. It's so that we can choose him. And make no mistake, when you're choosing other things, you're not choosing freedom. You're choosing slavery. Because it is only him who will set you free. Every other thing you pursue will control you. You may think you're in control, but it will utterly control you. It is only in dying to yourself and saying yes to the king that you can actually be free. And the Jewish people fight against this over and over and over again. Even at one point, they ask for a king. Why do they ask for a king? Because they want to be like all the other nations, and they want a man to boss them around. And God's like, really? Today you have rejected me, the king. So God has set you free. Guys, we live in the freest, safest, most amazing country that the world has ever produced. And anybody who says otherwise is wrong and broken in their thinking. And to throw away that freedom and that safety on the the few comforts of this world is nonsense compared to the riches of God. So my final plea to you today is who will you serve? You are free. You're safe. Many of you have a relationship with God. You may not have it all perfect. You may not have full freedom in your life. But man, if you got here today and you're sitting in a nice cushy chair and air conditioning, you probably have the choice Will you choose him? And it's an ongoing battle. Will you choose him in the areas of your life that are in disobedience? And will you put them to death? Will you say no to the sin that so easily entangles us? Will you reject death and choose life actively? Because God doesn't just bring a people out. He brings them out to love. So can we pray that any place in our life that we're not choosing life 
that we are choosing, in fact, death and sin and the other things that entangle us. We think that we're free, but these things are controlling us somehow. Can we pray that those would be broken? Can we pray that we would be more freed? Can we pray that more and more we would actually choose God? Because honestly, for those of you who have tasted all the other things, this is the only place there's life. And you know it. God, we thank you so much. We love you. Help us to choose you. Help us, even in our unbelief, minister through the power of your spirit, the love of Messiah, the love of Jesus for each one of us. Help us to be free. And God, for those who are not safe, I'm asking God, please, I cry out to you, help them. God, have mercy. God, intervene for the sake of your own great name. And God, make us into a people that chooses you. In Jesus' name.